Thank you, Brother Maddox. Brother Maddox has a head cold this morning, so I appreciate his effort for that. And um, the Lord does too. Now, today we continue to pursue the knowledge of the Son of God. Excellent knowledge. Excellent knowledge. Knowledge that you can't afford to be without. Knowledge that is worth giving up all in order to obtain. Excellent knowledge. That is, it supersedes sensual knowledge, earthly knowledge. It's not academic knowledge. It's not like knowing the answers to a test. It's a knowledge that brings us into an understanding of who God is, why he does what he does. It brings us into a unity and a oneness with the Father. It draws us into the heart of the will of God. It's an illuminating knowledge. You're able to get a sense of the way that things really are. And the more you know, the more you want to know. It's like a constraining knowledge. It truly is, in every sense of the word, excellent. Back in our lesson number five in February, we focused on a facet of Jesus and that he is God's appointed means of distributing grace, of dispensing grace. Jesus is the grace giver. And he dispenses grace not just to abstain from sin for the sake of abstaining, but in order to obtain things that are meant to be obtained. To have an enlarged hope, to become increasingly more like him. You see, the reason for salvation is not abstention, but transformation. It's not meant for only conversion, but for participation. Salvation, it certainly does involve a forsaking and a forgiving, but it more importantly involves a following and obtaining. God employs those he is saving. We're not decorative vases. After we're emptied, we're filled. The the point is that you might be filled. Mm -hmm. Filled with the fullness of God. Some people might say, I wonder what God's will is for my life. Well, it's that you would have the fullness. Fullness of God. See, nobody nobody can, no one can empty themselves and remain that way. You're going to be filled with something. Something's going to fill you. Either Jesus Christ is going to dwell in your hearts by faith, or the unclean spirit's going to return and bring seven of his friends with him. Yes, Jesus is the grace giver. He gives us grace to abstain and grace to obtain. But today I would like to focus on this same truth, yet from another perspective. Grace to escape temptation. Grace to help in the time of need. In so doing, I hope to increase your apprehension of the availability of the grace of God. That it's available to you when you need it. And how to recognize your time of need. You know, it's, it's possible for you to know that Jesus dispenses grace, but fail to recognize when you need that grace. Now I want to establish that the reason Christian people fall back into sin 
is because they did not obtain grace to help in the time of need. That's the reason why. An understanding of this is crucial to a stable walk with the Lord. I also want to confirm that what people do is actually a manifestation of what they desire. And that salvation is calculated to establish a deep-rooted desire for righteousness and holiness and godliness. And I, I want to declare that Jesus Christ is God's appointed means of delivering things that compete for our affection. There's things that compete. They're competing for your affection. Jesus Christ is God's appointed means of delivering us from those things. And he's, he's quite able to do that, by the way. Seeing that he's been, he's been tempted, he's been tried. He was tempted as a man himself. He can be a faithful high priest. So that ultimately, in conclusion of these things, there is really no such thing as an irresistible temptation. Which brings us to our text. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. Not any special thing that you're going to be tempted with that other men haven't been tempted with. But God is faithful. God is faithful. It would be unrighteous for him not to do this. Who will not allow you to be tempted what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, that's the truth. That is the truth. And once I was able to see this clearly, I'll tell you what, it set me free from a whole lot of baggage that I had actually picked up from Christian people. For example, some people say things like, as long as we're in this body, we'll always end up sinning. That's the, see, that, that's an emphasis. There might be an element of truth to that, but the, it's an improper emphasis. And, and things like, we're only human, so we can't help but sin. Well, I would kind of tend to agree with that if we were only human, but whoever's in Christ Jesus is a new creation. You're not only human. You're not only part of Adam's race. There's a part inside of you if you're born again that's born of God. It says in 1 John that it can't commit sin. There's a part of you that's like God. See, this, we can't help but sin, (laughs) that's strange talk after God has declared to us that sin shall not have dominion over us. Sin shall not be your master. See, the problem with these statements and improper emphasis is that they neutralize the power of God. There's a big difference between having the capacity to sin and participating in sin. There's a big difference there. There's a big difference between having flesh and walking in the flesh. There's a big difference there. It's, and I, I want to I make this point clear. It's not that everyone says these things because they're hard-hearted apostates, hell-bent on deceiving other people. That's not the reason why a lot of times these things are said. 
Many of these people are taught these things. And as a result of the shallow preaching and teaching of our day and meager spiritual diets, these statements actually become the very experience of countless people in the church today. No wonder they are embraced. They reflect their own experience. Who, being tempted to do what they know is wrong, often give in to the temptation. They feel the guilt and the shame that's associated with sinning against God. They beat a path back to Christ, and the cycle continues, and the cycle continues, and the cycle continues, and the foundation for repentance is laid again, and the foundation for repentance is laid again, and there's no forward progress being made. And they're told that this is the normal mode of Christian living. One big perpetual cycle of step failure, step failure, step failure. That's, I'm, I'm going to declare that that's actually evidence of spiritual juvenility and not spiritual maturity. See, brothers and sisters, this kind of thing is understandable in little children that are just beginning to walk. You get, take a toddler and you set him up and he takes two steps and, and the cat walks in front of him and he, he, he doesn't know what, how to handle that obstacle. He just topples right over. <clears throat> but this is not the case with a mature adult. Amen. I don't stumble when the cat walks in front of me. I can negotiate that obstacle pretty well. Go to a crowded place full of adults. I'll tell you what, go to the mall and look at people carrying shopping bags, having their kids going down the escalator. They've, they're, 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 they're negotiating crowds and traffic and people driving on the interstate. And Are they falling all over the place? Are the people that are driving on the interstate, is everyone just crashing all over the place? Or are they able, is there a stability there that they've grown up into? See, growing up in the body produces stability of the body. And growing up into Christ produces stability as well. I would say even more stability. There's even more stability there. Could you imagine going to an Olympic cross-country runner? You know, they travel over all kinds of terrain, cross-country runners. Could you imagine if they were just tripping all over? How many times does a professional athlete fall when he runs across the field? Or think about this. Think about soldiers that run in an obstacle course. They actually have, they're trained to run through all these kind of hazards. They have to do this because when they're actually in the battle, their lives are on the line. And their brothers, their brethren's lives are on the line too. They have to learn how to negotiate all these hazards and they're trained to do that. And we are soldiers in the army of the Lord. It should be the aim of everyone that is running the race set before him to run it with endurance. Now, how are we able to get to that point, though? We're talking about this. Where we're able to walk stable without stumbling in the sin. Well, first and foremost... We must depend on God for deliverance every single day, brethren. Jesus taught his disciples to pray to the Father, lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. See, there's many people that face temptations because they didn't ask God to deliver them. The others have not made straight paths for their feet. And as a result, the part of them that's weak 
is turned aside rather than healed. It's that make straight paths for your feet now, lest that which is lame be turned aside when it could have been healed. You got something that you're struggling with that you keep falling back into. Stay away from it. Make straight paths for your feet. It's never a wise recourse to give place to the devil or to make provision for the flesh. Both things we're exhorted not to do. We're told not to do these things. Ephesians 4.27 and Romans 13.14. But even after someone is sincerely following the Lord and even on the straight and narrow, they will eventually experience temptation. Everyone in this room has experienced temptation, even recently. Maybe even in the time that I've been up here preaching this. Maybe, maybe these people that are persuaded that we just can't help but sin, maybe they haven't considered that there really is a way of escape. Maybe they just don't know about it. So let's declare there's a way of escape for every temptation. The word about God providing this way of escape for every temptation. It was... This word was delivered by our Apostle Paul to the Corinthians. Now, the Corinthian church had been so enriched by the grace of God that they actually came behind in no spiritual gift. 1 Corinthians 1.7. Yet they were filled with all sorts of problems. They had to be addressed as carnal and not spiritual. They were prone to glory in men rather than in Christ. And there were divisions among them because of this. They were divided over like what person they should follow. I am of Cephas. I am of Apollos. There was division there. They thought more highly of men than that which was written. They were puffed up. They, They were swayed by fair presentations of speech and the wisdom of men rather than the foolishness of preaching. There were envyings and strife among them. And they they even sued one another. And by the hands of the heathen, in the courts of the heathen, they sued one another. And there were some among them who, who were reported to be guilty of fornication and were suffered to continue in it. Like they looked the other way. Some were somehow convinced that the unrighteous would inherit the kingdom of God. They had to be reminded of the examples of what happened when Israel was, they had displeased God through idolatry and ignorance and fornication and complaining and murmuring and pride. And he warned them not to enter into these things. And it's then, it's at that point in time that the apostle reminds them of the faithfulness of God and providing a way out for all of that. There's a way out. Amen. And this is a much needed word in the day that we live in today, where a similar situation exists in the churches. If progress is going to be made, this truth has to be known. You do not have to submit to the temptation. There's a way out of the temptation. If the Corinthians were going to keep themselves from going astray, they were going to have to resist the temptation. And the good news is that they were 100% able to resist everything that they were tempted with, and so are you. Amen. How? What's, what's involved in that way of escape? Let's talk about that. To understand that, we must first un- understand temptation. 
Our text says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. Like we said, there's not special temptations that you're going to go through that no one else hasn't already been through. All men are tempted in the same way. James says it like this. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away from his own lust and enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. So there's the mode of why people sin right there, spelled out. Before a person ever commits sin in their heart or with their body, they must first be drawn away in their focus. They must err in their thinking and be enticed in their heart. The the battle begins with a thought, Mm -hmm. with a single thought. It's, It's like a dart entered into your mind. It's a, it's a thought that appeals to your sinful nature. It appeals to your flesh. Yeah. Every person's body possesses lusts, specifically the lust of the eyes. These, these are all the things that are in the world that Satan can tempt you with. The lust of the eyes, that's things that look appealing, covetousness, envy, the Babylonian garment and the wedge of gold. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, that's fornication, drunkenness, indulgences, and the pride of life, thinking more highly of oneself, pride, rebellious, boasters, arrogant, loving the praise of men rather than the praise of God. See, these thoughts, they call for your attention. They have a tendency to to interrupt your immediate train of thought, like a commercial that interrupts a television program, and it presents itself to you. It's like like a salesman that knocks on the door of your mind, and once you let him in, he begins to make his presentation. The longer he makes his presentation, the, the more appealing the product becomes, and the second you begin to focus on these thoughts, you open the door for the devil's work to begin in the same manner. He begins to reason with you in the same way that the salesman does. He presents sin as advantageous, something that you can't possibly live without, even if that is merely to satisfy a small desire within you. The presentation is made to inflame your desire to sin and then to justify doing it. You have to justify doing it. Also, this is not something that take that can take a great amount of time. This is this presentation can happen in a moment's notice. The thought, redirection of focus, appeal to your heart and conception of lust can happen rather quickly. Someone can offend you with a personal insult. And this process can happen and within a matter of seconds we can find ourselves puffed up seeking vengeance and vindication through a response. We all do what we believe is the best thing to do. Everybody. Everybody does what they think is the best thing to do at the moment. Even in split-second decisions. Satan seeks to convince the believer that the sin is always the best course of action. We know this because the very first example of a thought that's presented that deceived a person to sin is recorded in the Bible, in the first few pages of the Bible. 
Eve saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desired to make one wise. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life and took the fruit thereof and did eat. See, the the thought happened before the action. She thought about what Satan presented She concluded that there was an advantage being deceived. She performed a deed. This caused her to perform something that was contrary to the very commandment of God and being in an innocent state, no less. So once a person has made up their mind, they want to sin, they will sin. If you've settled it in your heart to do evil, you'll find a way for it to express itself. At the very moment that you have an opportunity to express it in your action, you will. Although not all sin is expressed immediately externally. Jesus said, a man who looks upon a woman to lust after her has committed, something done, adultery with her already in his heart. Covetousness, covetousness is an internal sin. Mm -hmm. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he, the proverb sees. You think that way in your heart, that's what you are. Now, when she ate of that forbidden fruit, and her husband did as well, immediately their eyes were opened, and they saw that they were naked. And when a person who is right with God is tempted and yields to the temptation, immediately they know that something is very different. To go from being at peace with God to feeling the weight of guilt is very different. It's at that point, you know, and you realize that you've sinned and Jesus has to deliver you all over again. And the cycle continues for countless people. And that's a great, there's a great liability here to yielding to temptation. There's no guarantee that the person who gives into the temptation will recover from that. Sin has a hardening effect on the heart. It's true that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But what if a person yields to temptation and as a result, the sin hardens them to the point where they don't want to confess their sin? What if they sin and they're not sorry that they've sinned? See, such a person is in a perilous condition. We're talking about God making a way of escape for every temptation so that we don't wind up in this position. Amen. Repentance, Brother David said this this morning, repentance is not an entitlement. You're not entitled to repentance. With that being said, I thank God that he's righteous and I thank God that he's merciful. Amen. Amen. But I also thank God that this doesn't compete with either of those attributes. Yeah. He's given men space to repent. Yeah. He's given men opportunity to repent. Yeah. The point is to abort the sin in the temptation phase yeah. before it becomes sin. Yes. Before it conceives, escape the temptation before it enters your heart and stirs up the flesh to forget God and commit sin. 
And the psalmist writes for our consideration, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. The temptation can easily get into the heart of a man that is full of the hidden word of God. When the temptation makes the appeal to the heart, it's met with a holy desire and affection for the word that God has spoken. When Satan tempts you to doubt what God said is true, his word is in us like a protection. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And having done all to stand, knowing the word of God, hiding it in your heart. When the thought appeals to your flesh, it wars against your spirit. The closer you are to God, the more these temptations will actually vex you. They're like an annoyance. When your desire for the things of God grow, your desire for the things of the world dampen. When appeals are made made to you to sin, it like chafes against your soul. You will find yourself like Christ suffering being tempted. It's written, Christ suffered being tempted. Wishing like Paul that you never even had these thoughts presented to you in the first place. See, Paul, oh, Paul's external conduct, when he wasn't a follower of a Christ, it says that, it says that he was blameless. Nobody, could, nobody could, could look at Paul and say, ah, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. Before Paul followed Christ, his conduct was blameless. Now, after Paul followed Christ... It was still blameless. He was, he was so close to God that he only always and ever wanted to think about God. That's all he wanted. He only wanted good thoughts. He only wanted pure thoughts. He only wanted holy thoughts. But he found that when he would do good, evil was present with him. There was a contrary thought in his mind that warred against his spirit. And he concluded, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin? And he said, praise God (laughs) through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I will report that he doesn't have those thoughts right now. Not anymore. See, when when we get close to the Lord, that these thoughts that enter our mind... They chafe against our soul, too. See, this, this is important because this buys you valuable time, speaking as man. And it gives you like this pressing desire to flee to the Lord for refuge. Nearness to God. Nearness to God is everything. James told people who were vacillating in the world, one second they were in the world, they were friends with the world. He said, don't you know friendship with the world is enmity with God? He said, purify your hearts, you double-minded. And he said, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. See, nearness, nearness is the remedy. Nearness to God. God provides the way of escape. Christ ministers the way of escape. And the Holy Spirit directs us to the escape. They're all involved in it. You can't be on the border of serving Christ and living in the world. You can't like teeter on the edge there and fare well when you are tempted. There are some people who are so far away from God that when they're tempted, 
they usually don't require much convincing before they cave in. They're able, all they're able to see is the trial. All they're able to see is the temptation. They don't, maybe they don't remember. They don't recall the word when they're tempted. They don't recall that there's a way of escape. They're so caught up in the moment. They're so caught up in the thought. They don't remember the word of the Lord. So we know that there's a way of escape, but where is it? Well, it's, it's not a horizontal way of escape. If the temptation presents you with a thought that is rooted in the lust of this world, who would think that the way of escape is found in this world yeah. or pertains to the world? Yeah. Yeah. If the law of Moses could not help people escape the dominion of sin, you can be sure that there's no law of man or a code of conduct that can be followed to abort temptations. These things only serve to stir up the flesh. We are under grace, not under the law. Therefore, sin has no dominion over us that we should obey it. Some translations say, sin shall no longer be your master, Romans 6, 14. It can't boss you around anymore. Sin can't boss you around anymore. The way of escape then is up. That's the way of escape. In other words, the escape of the temptation is the exchange of one thought for another thought. Knowing that there is a way of escape, we can come with confidence before the throne of grace when we are tempted. See, Jesus knows exactly what, what that feels like. He suffered being tempted as well. He knows and can be touched with the feeling of your infirmities. He not only has the knowledge of what you need, but he has the authority and the resources to be able to provide your need. Amen. He's able to give you exactly what you need in order to bear the temptation, a way of escape. Look to the Lamb of God. Didn't, didn't we sing that this morning? Mm-hmm. When Satan tempts and doubts and fears assail, look to the Lamb of God. You in his strength shall over all prevail. Yes. Look to the Lamb of God. Amen. There are things that we consider brought to us in the posture of looking to Jesus. He is ministering these things. Yeah. Profitable thoughts in place of the temptation that carry a greater weight. We consider the word of God, and by faith we believe it, and we have respect for it. And as we lean upon God and what he has said, we consider the things that he has promised us. We look forward to our reward. See, these, all of these benefits and considerations about being spiritually minded and the things that the Lord delivers us, they, they outweigh the temptation. In that light, we're not persuaded by it. We can see it for what it really is. In other words, we resist it. We say, no, I'm not going to do that. Why? Because we have a better and enduring substance. We have something that's persuading us. And, you know, Satan has no response for no. It says, resist the devil, James 4, 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. He's got, at that point in time, technically he's got nothing in you. You're, you're latched on to something else. Looking to Jesus, we have power, just as Peter did. He didn't, Peter didn't lose his footing in the midst of a sea that well, there was a storm. 
He walked on, he didn't walk on calm waters. He walked on a sea in the midst of a storm. And as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, he didn't fall. And as long as you keep your eyes on Jesus, you won't fall. By setting our affection on the things above and not on the things of the earth, we can effectively enter a realm where temptation cannot operate the way that Satan intends it to. The goal is to stay in the spirit, to not come down. Don't come down. Every day you get up, beat away up into the heavenly places and stay up there. Don't get drawn down. There's things that will draw you down. If you turn your head, it'll draw you down. Sometimes you'll face an evil day, just like an onslaught of, of, of wicked thoughts, just an onslaught of temptations. And I'm saying if you resist and you beat your way up into the heavenly places, you'll, you'll, there's, a, there's a, something that will happen. You'll like break through. You like, you like break through and, and you're up in this heavenly realm. Now, I've hope, I, I hope today that I've given you all something to think about. The situation is not as hopeless as people appear to be. It's not. Now, I can personally testify. I want to give my personal testimony here. That every single time that I've been tempted and I beat a path to Jesus, I have clean escaped this temptation without sinning. Without the smell of smoke, just clean escape. But I can also confess, on the other hand, that every time that I've ever sinned, I didn't do that. I didn't seek the Lord. I didn't seek his grace. I didn't look for the way of escape. Or I didn't realize that there was a way of escape. I was too caught up in it. I was too far away from God. I was too caught up in the life. I was too caught up in the day-to-day routine. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. It's a fight of faith. There's a war that's got to happen. Receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. There are people who really think that they cannot help but sin. And so temptations they cave to over and over again. And so in their experience, it further strengthens the lie that we all sin eventually, so why now even try? I mean, didn't Jesus die so our sins can all be covered? Besides, we're only human, so it's one sin after another. Tell me then, dear brother, why has God made a way out of yielding to the sin you claim that men can never be without? If it's automatically covered, then why do we need to escape? What are all the warnings for and pleadings to abstain? Can't the one who forgives the sin of man give power to resist it and power to stand? If there is no use, then why do we have armor to wear? And then told we, if we wear it, Satan's wiles we can bear. If there was no hope to escape temptation at all, then why did Peter say, if you do these things, you shall never fall? I'm here to declare that God is not unrighteous to allow us to be tempted in a way out, not provide us. How could man be judged for sin if temptation holds him hostage? Sounds less like freedom to my ear and sounds rather like bondage. There is a liability for sure. 
and your foot sometimes may slip. But there's a difference having flesh and to live your life in it. And there may be a time or two it catches us off guard, but growing up into the Lord finds a footing that's secured. It's natural for toddlers to fall down all the time, but this is not the case for a man who's grown and in his prime. So stay close to the Lord. You will learn how to run the race. And may the Lord direct your way up to that safety place. Amen. Amen. Amen.